The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on? Jermaine Johnson tuning in to Turn On The Jets podcast. Hey, this is Vinny Pasquantino of the Kansas City Royals. Make sure you tune into the Turn On The Jets podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to an episode of Turn the Jets Podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPaul11 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Another episode today, uh, obviously, the, the post-game uh, victory fucking Monday. Uh, on Monday, we got that one out of the way. Now, as usual, Brad Spielberg joins me on a Wednesday. We're talking a little bit of more recapping this Jets-Eagles game, what it all meant. Um, some huge praise from both Travis and Jason Kelsey on, on the Kelsey Podcast, not only about the Jets defense and Robert Sala, Jets crowd. Um, MetLife being called a home field advantage uh, was something that was beautiful to hear. And then we'll talk some trade targets. Uh, what kind of happens to the deadline here and Aaron Rodgers' Christmas Eve return against the Commanders when the Jets are eight and five or whatever it is and going for a division title? Um, is that on the cards? We'll get into it. Brad, how are we doing? A and B, what was your reaction, I guess, of what what unfolded on Sunday, starting with the Justin Fields dislocated finger and ending with the Jets. Um, ending with the, actually the Giants getting shafted on Sunday Night Football, almost helping the Jets, you know, twice. Yeah, yeah, uh, doing great. Getting ready for what I think is going to be a very busy trade deadline. Obviously, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit here. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Fields is, I mean, obviously I feel bad for him. Obviously, I want to watch him play every week and not, you know, undrafted rookie Tyson Bajant. He got hurt on a play that was his fault, as were all of the sacks in his game, because he does not know how to. I mean, you know, Minnesota's going to blitz. They they blitz the highest rate in the NFL. He doesn't know when he's hot. He doesn't know when to get rid of the football. There were guys streaking wide open a half dozen times. Anyway, I do feel bad for him, but it's just like I was cautioning everyone after the last two games to not get you know not get too excited, and he was terrible against Minnesota. So anyway, uh, that's how I felt there with the Jets. We talked about it a little bit. I obviously. <clears throat> was concerned with the, the cornerback injuries and maybe was was less confident the Jets could pull this thing off because of not having Sauce, not having DJ Reed. But I was waiting for this offensive performance from Philly. And they did move the ball decently well early on. Obviously, the turnovers were the massive part here. Three interceptions, a fumble, um, only two sacks, but the Jets got pressure, you know, way more than that number. Credit to them. I thought Craig James like stepped up and played some pretty good football. What what I saw on the broadcast, I need to watch the film still on him specifically. But but yeah, like it was. We knew that game was coming, and I just it was awesome that it came despite all the injuries. You know, it, it was fun. And then yeah, yeah. Did did Darren Waller get held a little bit? Sure. <clears throat> did Brian Dayball 
kind of throw away the game regardless. Also, yes. <laughs> yeah, the the Giants. It's funny how when the Jets, uh, because the Jets won, no one really talked as much about that first half. Lack of execution. The Giants did the same thing. Even more egregious that they ran the ball there. The Jets at least were throwing. And it was just a bad decision to throw it, not get out of bounds against Denver. The Jets won, so it didn't matter. Uh, the Giants didn't. And that's why people are going to beat up on the Giants. Although they, of course, obviously get favorable. Favorable uh, coverage here uh, in the New York, New Jersey area. But look, the Jets, I predicted them went on Friday. I, I just had this weird feeling. There was a, a mix of, and I said this on Monday's pod, there was a mix of the Eagles had not been playing their best ball. Jalen Carter not playing. The Eagles front four got pressure, but they're, it just is not. Jalen Carter is the most dynamic player right now on that defense. He's just so good against the run. And obviously so good against he's leads them in sacks as well. Well, Hassan Reddick obviously had a great game, but um, and I thought Slay not being there, can the Jets score a little bit? Again, the Eagles defense was not the problem on Sunday. They were fantastic. Uh, I thought for the most part, the Jets obviously got a couple of bad breaks with the the Lazard kind of first and goal at the nine that somehow is not an offsetting penalty, and then it was second and twenty-five at the 49. Not sure how that worked, but um, sure, considering the way NFL officiating works. But I thought the most important thing was this Jets defense, even though they were down sauce, um, down DJ Reed, at points down Michael Carter, down Brandon Eccles, down Justin Hardy, like their entire secondary is wiped out. I just thought the Eagles offensively have not looked right. And I don't know, it's been play calling, it's been their identity for so, so long last year. And I felt like even, you know, throughout is Jalen Hurts throws 25 to 30 times runs five to seven times, especially in you know short yardage. He's the best runner in football right now at, at short yardage, obviously. And they run the ball, DeAndre Swift. They kind of get everybody involved, two tight end looks, all this different stuff. 1.6 yards a carry. I think they had 32 yards rushing on Sunday. The Jets turned them over four times. They got a lot of pressure. I know Lane Johnson went out, and I can see a lot of people already. Bryce Hoff was getting pressure when Lane Johnson was in there too. It's not like you know they were getting pressure the whole game. I want to ask you – I talked, I tweeted about this and it was talked about a bunch pressure. Sometimes we talk about this pressure versus sack thing. And obviously you, you're big into numbers and stuff like that. I feel like Sunday was the perfect evidence of why pressures matter so much because the Jets only had two sacks. You'd go, Oh, they didn't play that well in defense. They had a zillion pressures. I think 20 total on 50 dropbacks, 17 with just three or four rushers. And Jalen hurts heard footsteps on that third and seven. And that does not happen if the Jets do not beat him up over a first, second and third quarter. It's massive, 110%. I think you saw it in the Dallas uh, Chargers game as well. The, Dallas, the Cowboys didn't have a sack until Micah Parsons in the fourth quarter, but the missed third down throw to Keenan Allen on, on, a, on a deep post was because of pressure. The missed throw when Keenan Allen had like an out and up and was wide open on the left sideline, there was pressure. Like it, it, It's going to impact plays even if you don't actually get home and you take away both of those plays or 30-plus yard you know, gains. So, yeah, to the Jets game as well. Hertz was never comfortable, especially once Lane Johnson went out. But like you said, they were getting after him regardless. But it speeds your internal clock up. It leads to poor accuracy or missing throws. Um, also, this game, you know, Devontae Smith just had, what, two, three drops, just did not have a good game either. And I think part of that, though, also was the second level with C.J. Mosley was, I mean, he was phenomenal again in this game. And I think there got a time where Hertz was almost, I think, afraid to throw intermediate and was kind of looking for deep or dump it off to Dallas Goddard or, or DeAndre Swift or whatever, and they couldn't really, you know, make much out of that. It couldn't make guys miss in space. So, yeah, it was it was a full defensive effort in that front seven. Um, but, yeah, it, it, the sacks are are such they're, – they're great. It's good to get home. It's good to finish a play like that. Pressure is what actually is going to determine a lot of games, and the Jets had a ton of it. 
pressure burst pipes. Um, sorry, it's not <laughs> go and speak. Is there a front seven playing better in football right now? I know it's probably the Niners. It could be, you could argue it's Cleveland. Um, you could argue Philly's front four. I feel like Quincy Williams and CJ Mosley as a group are playing as well, if not maybe better than, you know, better in the tandem in San Francisco and the front four. Bryce Huff gets pressured a better rate than anybody in football. William Williams is a monster. Jermaine Johnson's, you know, being dominant JFM's doing JFM stuff. Quentin Jefferson's got three or four sacks. Like, is this front seven playing at least at the same level as better than anybody else in football or in that top two or three like we thought? I would say yes, because A, what you mentioned, if you add the linebackers in, like I, I like Jeremiah Usukomro, I like Anthony Walker, but Walker coming off a bad injury, and there are times where you see tries to make a cut in space and it doesn't look, you know, he'll get there, but it's not there right now. Um, and then with the Niners, you can kind of run on the Niners right now. You know, I think, you know, that I mean, Javon Hargrave, that's part of the equation. You do get an awesome pass rusher. He's not very good against the run. Javon Kinlaw actually is playing better football finally, but is still not, you know, the greatest player in the world. So you can run on those teams, whereas the Jets right now, I don't think you can pass or run particularly efficiently against them. So those two things, looking at the entire group, because the linebackers do matter, and looking at both facets of play, having an Al Woods, having some some beef in the middle, I think you make case the Jets right now are playing as well as anybody up front. I'm fully on the same page. I want to talk about the offense quickly because, and then we'll get to some of the kind of forward-thinking stuff. These offense truly does feel close. I know sometimes you hear coaches, oh, we're close, we're close. I feel they're moving the ball now. Early in the year was, you know, with Zach, I feel like, you know, outside of one or two drives against the Cowboys, again, the Cowboys game, we've talked about a million times. I feel like it's such a wash now. Looking back, that game goes totally differently if I think maybe they still lose, but I think it's more like the Chargers game the other day than, you know, it does 31 to 10 after if it's not the Rodgers situation. The offense moves the ball. Brees Hall is obviously – there Garrett Wilson's getting his share of targets now they're using the tight ends they're blocking better like but it still feels like in the red zone a combination of Zach processing which is still a problem not that he's not playing better before people his truthers come at me but he does not process the ball process fast at all and let alone the red zone you have to process quickly play calling's not always great it's been better but it's there's still sometimes you know big turnover and you you run the ball up the middle it's like Come on, man. Um, and then most importantly, it's the one negative play seems to kill this team more than any offense. At least, most of the offense I watched in football this year where one penalty, one sack, one negative play, it's like they get so thrown off where when they get rolling, they start moving the ball and they look really good. It's just like it feels like they get down to like the 20, 15, you know, 25-yard line even. It's like up oh, one false start, drive over, field goal, you know one drop drive over one set. Like it just does it not feel like they're so close, but they cannot, they have not other than the Brees Hall touchdown, which we, I think I hope for the jets that that maybe I know they got let, they were able to let score, but like you hope that maybe they saw the ball go in the hoop a little bit. Maybe it happens, but they were over their last nine. And like, you could argue they should have blown Denver out. And like, maybe they should have blown Philly out. If they're scoring touchdowns, they turn the ball over four times. Like why could if they convert two or three of those? We're not even talking about this being a close game you know, in the fourth quarter. 
Yeah, I think the first point is when you get in the, in the negative, you know, first and 15 or, or whatever. Right now, absence and explosive play, I think it's very hard for this offense to pick up 15, 20 yards on three downs. Like, it just is, again, unless someone breaks one off or Garrett has a nice play, and obviously he was phenomenal in this game, um, which, you know, you just got to avoid it. You got to avoid the pre-snap stuff. You have to avoid, you know, the, putting yourself in a bad position. I do think Zach has gotten better, at least at avoiding sacks, which obviously was a big issue for him, um, you know, and, and will continue to grow and get better in that area. But I think you have already seen it. To the red zone, I think it, it is, and we see it with teams across the league, even teams with good quarterbacks and stuff like that. When things get compressed and you have less field to work with and, and the defense can kind of collapse a little bit and, and shrink a little bit, you need to be a lightning quick processor and know how to stress the boundaries, know how to stress the middle of the field in two and a half or fewer seconds. And that's that's not a thing that like Zach struggles with. Like, every quarterback, even the good ones, are still going to struggle down in that area. But I think I actually do agree with you where maybe seeing it go through the hoop, maybe having a finally having a successful red zone trip Look, there's variance there. It, it, it certainly can be you go 0 for 9, then you go 4 for 6, and it kind of, you know, you know, zigzags throughout the year. Maybe that was a spark they needed. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say page you there. I want to kind of look forward here, right? They're getting – Joe Tittman looks like he's going to be out for a little while. I don't know. We don't know specifics of the injury. It sounds like it might be, like, some type of, like, torn quad or some type of, like, not good – I don't know. Rich Tamini hinted it's like a, a quadriceps tendon injury, which – I, again, it doesn't sound like it's a week-to-week thing. Um, sounds more like an eight-week thing than it does a, a one-week thing. Again, we'll see the Jets don't have to release an injury report for another seven days. They'll get Sauce back. They'll get Reed back. Eccles will be back. Michael Carter, the second, will be fine. Um, he, he said he felt fine after the game talking to him. I guess, like, what, where do they go here? They, they're going into the trade deadline here. I, it feels like they need a receiver, and they need some type of either – Guard slash tackle. They should have signed Justin Pugh off the Giants uh, at practice squad the other day. That was a perfect guy to go sign. The Giants signed him today. Maybe it's Leo Collins. I don't know what it is, but it feels like those two spots are really the only spots where, like, you could feasibly probably add and should add because this team is very much in the thick of things with how the schedule kind of shakes out. I think guard tackle flex. Well, first, there are receivers. If you want to add, you know, like Terrace Marshall from Carolina or like, you know, a guy that can come in and just play some good snaps. Um, There are those names. Paris Campbell in New York. Like, you know, again, the guys that no one's sitting at their computer excited when I'm saying these names. But I think guys that can come in, play 25 snaps, maybe have an explosive here and there. I think a, a guard or tackle. I mean, Lyle Collins is the picture perfect example. Can play right tackle, can play left guard, has played both at a high level in the past. I'm sure he'd be fine at right guard as well. I think that's probably where you're looking um, from a trade standpoint off the top of my head. I'm struggling to think of a good name there, but I'm sure you could find one um, on a bad team. The team that's willing to sell off some assets and give up, you know, maybe get a fifth, sixth round pick for, for an interior guy that has tackle flex. I think that is the spot though. If I was going to make a move and obviously we know they might get rid of Carl Lawson, might get rid of Nicole Hardman, you know, offset that with a move for a, for a solid offensive lineman. I think that is smart. Yeah. I'm curious. I just keep coming back to like, I'm curious what happens in Denver. Um, I think, you know, Connor Rogers brought up on Badlands, possibility of Cortland Sutton for a day three pick. Um, obviously knows Nate Hackett, knows the system. I think he's only got he got another year after this remaining on his deal. Um, he's not going to cost a ton. He's a bigger body guy. Maybe he allows you to play, um, you know, Garrett Wilson in the slot more. We'll see what happens there. I have no interest in the Jets trading for Jerry Judy. It, it just... <laughs> 
that type of if you can't take Steve Smith's criticism, I'm not saying it was fair, it's fair or not, and the way Steve Smith handled it, whether you like it or not, I'm not really sure. I feel kind of differently every time I've been asked about it. That's not going to go over well in New York. Um, that's the that's the type of stuff people latch on to sure. right away, and it just does not go well. What's going to happen with Garrett Bowles? Like that's something that I'm. I mean, I don't know if he can play anywhere else. Could he play right tackle? Could he whatever? Probably not. Um, I'm curious if he's going to get moved though, because that's a guy who's complained about losing multiple times this year. Um, the one receiver name that, that I have not heard mentioned because maybe because the saints are still in it, but like, is Michael Thomas going to get moved? Because I feel like every year we talk about Michael Thomas potentially getting moved. And I just don't think the saints are very good. Um, like I don't, and I just feel like every week it's like, Oh, the saints defense is good, but like, they're probably going to lose 19 to 17 again. And you know, I don't know. Maybe he's a name that you watch out for. I don't think Devontae's really going to happen because the Raiders are winning games. But, like, I think if the Raiders would have been one and five, it's a different conversation. Renfro's another name. I don't know. There's there's a lot of receiver names. It's just, like, what they're going to cost. Is Do any of those guys kind of stand out to you or even realistic targets? Or it's more of the Broncos guys, Terrace Marshall types that, you know, as you mentioned. You know, Renfro and Sutton are certainly available, very, very available. Uh, and I don't think would be, yeah, and I don't think it would be super expensive. Obviously, bring a totally different skill set, you know, a slot separator versus a guy that, I don't know, kind of Corey Davis to a degree, like downfield, big body, box out type, type weapon. And look, Sutton's touchdown against Kansas City was one of the cooler catches of the season. Like he still has some juice in him. So I will look into that for sure. Yeah, the bigger names like Michael Thomas, look, the Saints do stink, but they they don't know that or they don't care about that. They're probably still going to win the NFC South because the whole division stinks. So uh, I don't think any Thomas also probably leads the team in targets. I haven't looked, but he he gets seven, eight targets a game, uh, you know, because Derek Carr, you know, a seven yard pass is a deep pass for Derek Carr. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think there are some of those other names you mentioned, and I do think Cortland Sutton would make a meaningful impact on this team. Renfro too, too. Like, I don't know why he's completely fallen out of favor there, but you know, he brings a particular skill set. Maybe Zach would like having a guy that can just get, you know, wide open early on in the shot clock and help him throw over the middle, throw quickly, you know, that that's what he does. So I would look at those names. You mentioned some of the others guys that again, they, they would make a meaningful difference um, even on 25, 30 snaps a game. Yeah. You mentioned, yeah, Michael Thomas has got 47 targets through six games. So yeah, yeah the, the, <laughs> they're, I mean, look, I, I'm taking a victory lap after six weeks. I was just very anti-Derek Carr this offseason because I just think your ceiling is so limited. And it's like, these guys have been showing you who they are for nine years, good defense or not. Um, Derek Carr is great for your number one fantasy option in re- receiver. Uh, winning games, not so much. Um, you talked about Carl Lawson, McCole Hardman. Um, those are two names, obviously. I don't see the Jets trading Dalvin Cook. I also think Dalvin Cook's playing a lot better than Michael Carter is. And I'd much rather see it be Brees Hall, Dalvin Cook, and Izzy Abanaconda than I would let it be Michael Carter because he doesn't catch the ball block well or run particularly well, unfortunately. Um, what's the realistic option, realisticness, I guess, we see Lawson and uh, and Hardman moves? Because Hardman played a little on Sunday. Carl played a little bit on Sunday. But, like, it kind of feels like the writing's on the wall a little bit there. The Lawson, like, close to 100%. Maybe that's a little bit bullish. You never know in the NFL. But, you know, every game you do play him when he has the back issues, the knee issues, et cetera, or Achilles, whatever, like it's a risk. And, and do you want to pay the remainder of that guaranteed salary? Probably not. And those savings do matter. Now, sometimes we scoff at saving three million bucks. It, it matters. It makes a difference. Hunter Renfro and, and, and Carl Lawson have the same salary, like just for an example. So 
I think he gets moved for sure. Hardman, I just wonder if there's even a market for him. I mean, someone maybe wants a guy that has the speed that can basically be their like jet motion guy and kind of open up elements of an offense maybe they do not have right now. Um, I don't know, like the Chargers or something, I guess. But but I just wonder if there's even a really market for him there. And the Jets say, do we take a swap of sevenths or do we just keep him in case of depth, you know, emergency? I lean more that way. Lawson, I think they're comfortable making it because they have so many good edge rushers. And I just think it makes sense for all parties at this point. Yeah, I, I just would keep McCole Hardman. Like, I, I don't understand, like, the reasoning not to, especially if you want to yeah. use Xavier Gibson more um, on offense. Like, let McCole Hardman return kicks and punts and, like, get him involved. And, like, maybe he breaks one or two because he's done that in the past. Um, and I also just feel like, I guess we've been talking about receiver. This is not a beat up Randall Cobb thing. And, and I, like, I get it. I get why he's here. I get his value to the jets like there is a legit value there there's also a legit value in keeping the guy who's the most important player in your franchise happy i get the value that he's the only real veteran outside of lazard in that room i get like all of these things do matter and i know he was the catch he made on sunday to for the two-point conversion was awesome like that's a ballsy huge hit he took and that's great that said when this when he's on the field the offense has been unproductive um he does just like I, I hate to be that guy he just does not look like the player he used to be and the numbers back it up he's struggling with some drops he's struggled with with blocking how do you phase him out knowing when we get to in a second that there's a chance Rodgers comes back so you can't just inactivate you can't sit there and inactivate Cobb like it's just not going to happen how do they like how do they do this the right way where you like what do you say to him? Like, how do you handle the situation? Because this to me is way more complicated than Dalvin or Hardman or Lawson or any of these guys. This is probably the most complicated graciously taking guys rep countdown uh, without, without angering him, Rogers, Lazard, or, you know, Hackett, who obviously calls the plays. I think the way you go about it is you really and truly cater a specific role on a lower snap count, but say, look, we are, we're trying to have you be more efficient on less gameplay, right? Like we're probably going to take you off on early downs because I mean, he's not a bad blocker, but you know, he's not Lazard obviously. Um, and say, Hey, we just want to keep you fresh. We want to play you 15, 25 snaps a game. If we're in obvious passing situations, you will be out there more. And we're here. Here's how we're going to use you specifically, you know, get you free releases, create room for you to operate and roam, you know? And, and I think there, there there's, there's a, a way to go about it. That is, Hey, look, I get it. You are going to reduce how much I'm playing, which no player ever wants, but you actually are genuinely trying to, you know, like I'll get the same amount of targets just on fewer snaps or stuff like that. And so that works. That's fine. And then when Rogers comes back, you know, maybe things change a little bit, but, but yeah, right now he, he's he been kind of a net negative in that offense. There have been some drops or even just like, even if it's not drops, like I haven't seen him make a catch through contact in a couple of years. And I'm not talking about like bad contact, but like, you know, every play you watch on the replay, those guys getting grabbed a little bit and the good players fight through that and catch the ball. I haven't seen that from Randall Cobb in a while, and I, I think he used to be phenomenal at it, and it's just not really part of his game anymore. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm on the same page. There's two other guys I want to kind of quickly touch on. Um, this this left side of the Jets' offensive line, both Mekhi Becton and Lincoln Tomlinson, the last – since they got moved, since that Patriots game, the improvement, at least by the eye test, and a lot of the numbers back it up. I'm not saying every number is going to back it up, but, like – it certainly feels like the two of them are playing much closer to the level that they're expected to now as a partnership. Have you kind of felt like the same way? Because Becton obviously 
I know both of them gave up some pressures and stuff like that. Again, I'm not really going to get on <laughs> guys giving up pressures, you know, against the Eagles. I, I think everybody does that. I think it's generally speaking though, Tomlinson looks much more like the guy the Jets paid. Um, and he's a guy I know we talked about in the last podcast that he's probably a guy you end up coming to in the offseason saying we're going to add on years and kind of have you just like you play every snap. That's actually really valuable as lineman and Mekhi Becton, if he keeps playing the way he's playing, he's going to get paid, whether it's by the Jets or somebody else this offseason. Do you feel the same way? Because I feel like that left side, we gave so much props to Tittman and AVT in the run game. Both guys are now injured, so it's like everything we're talking about. The left side, though, they've improved a lot, and center still remains probably the biggest issue, at least in my opinion. I No, I totally agree. And, and I do wonder if there's also maybe a, a correlation between the two of them, like feeling supplanted in that spot and feeling as though they can work with each other. I remember there was one twist or stunt that they passed off that I thought looked good uh, against Philly. It may have been Reddick cutting inside against Lakin, and I like how they sorted through it, um, if I'm remembering that correctly. Yeah, I don't think Reddick's a great matchup for Makai either, but I think he's been awesome. I actually think from what I've watched of him the last month, um, in both facets of the game, you know, both as a run blocker and a pass protector, I think he's looked really, really good. For both guys, I know this is like oversimplified, but it's the NFL. They're probably just healthy. Like sometimes we, oh, this guy sucks. He's not playing well. For all you know, he's dealing with an injury. His ankle is blue for all you know. Um, and he's playing through something that you wouldn't even walk to work with. But that, and, and there's no excuse there. That is the NFL. Um, but they look like different players uh, the, the last month or so. I agree. So we'll finish up here. And obviously, you know, next week we'll talk more about the Giants game. It looks like, kind of looks like the Jets are going to see Tyrod Taylor. I'm not sure that's even like, helpful because Daniel Jones no. holds the ball way longer. And although, the Giants offense, for as much credit as Tyra Taylor got, uh, scored nine points against the Bills defense, missing like literally every single good player on the team. So I want to talk about Rodgers from t- twofold. One, how ridiculous is what we're watching? Um, and then we'll get to kind of what the end of the year looks like. But as a Bears fan, I get it. There's a million things and Rodgers can allure you with the way he talks and the way he does things just as much as, you know, he can be off putting towards folks at at other times. I don't feel like this is a media thing and him wanting attention. This dude, even the fact that he's walking without crutches, let alone like throwing and like transferring weight and all that stuff. Like it's nuts. Like it's legitimately insane to me that he's even doing any of this. Wild. Like, I, you know, you never want to compare pro athletes to your buddies, but like I had a buddy tear his Achilles, like, uh, I guess last year, um, good athlete, like, you know, active dude. And he is like, he's sitting there being like, I don't get how he's doing this. Like, I really like, this is a guy who like attacked rehab and like, you think would be someone who could like be ahead of schedule, quote unquote, and all those things. And every, like every update, he's just like, this is like, this is bananas. Like, like, and the guy's 15 years or 10 years older than us at this point too. So no, it's remarkable. I don't know if he wants media attention. He's going to get it. It's not like he's asking people to talk about his Achilles health. It's going to be a topic of conversation, um, you know, no matter what. So yeah, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, it's, it's awesome to see, you know, like medicine where it's at, where he got the same procedure as Cam Akers and like getting these new procedures that help guys get back faster. I mean, dude, we were kids like ACL tears were career ending injuries. And now Brees all comes back and is balling like, you know, nine months later. So it's cool to see. I think he is going to play, you know, maybe it's only week 17, week 18. And hopefully they're in the wild card hunt at that point. Um, but I think he's going to come back. Yeah, I do too. And he taught, he hinted at it a little bit. Um, there was a doctor on CBS. I, I'm blanking on his name, but kind of that worked directly with, uh, you know, Rogers surgeon and basically saying that like Rogers is in at week five, he's in, he's past the like week 
15 or 16, whatever it is, mark of where he's supposed to be. Um, most people are supposed to be in a boot for the first three months. You know, Achilles, Richard Sherman, like, I, I know it's Skip and, and Keyshawn, and they're kind of doing their thing of, you know, I know it's a debate show, so you can't all agree, but they're Richard Sherman's like, I literally don't understand how this is possible. And there's no such thing as like a partially torn Achilles. It might like might be a lesser, not as bad of a tear. It's the same surgery. Um, it's a tendon. So I think he's coming back. And I, I thought there was a possibility maybe if they got to the playoffs and maybe he comes back. It certainly seems like it's more of like the Christmas Eve or like, I mean, I don't know, because they play a short week the next week. So maybe it's, or no, they don't. Maybe it's Washington at home, whatever. If you had to put pinpoint when you thought, like what what's the what's the most optimistic and then what's more of the like the, i don't know i feel like the washington game at home is probably the game that like sticks out because coming back week 18 i guess the patriots aren't very good so um you know that'd be pretty that'd be pretty nuts but a i guess when do you think do you think he actually can come back as you just mentioned um and then b more more importantly like how do they handle this situation because there's a lot of kind of ridiculous opinions that like oh they won't bench zach and like all this stuff like you kind of clear that up a little bit before i try to clear some of that up yeah so yeah i really do think he comes back and i think it does set up i was going to say the christmas eve game because you get that game against a good browns defense obviously you know scary for rogers but a game that i think is goes from hard to see a win well not hard to see a win but you know at cleveland against that defense it's going to be a tough game versus okay, we have the better quarterback in this matchup by a good margin, at least compared to Watson, how he's playing right now. And we have a quarterback that can probably mitigate this pass rush a good degree. So that stretch is huge because I think you look at the schedule you know, before then, home against the Texans, yes, yeah, CJ Stroud's balling, but you, you got to win that game. At Miami, might be a tough game regardless, whether Rodgers or you know Zach Wilson. And then you get those three games at the end where if you're hovering around 500 going into that three-game stretch – you say, all right, Rodgers comes in and wins out, and we're gonna we're getting a wild card, right? So I think it happens. And then yes, look, Zach has improved. He's played better ball. I think he has a, avoided a lot of the negatives, which right now for me is still more important in his growth than having the positives. Um, and he's gotten much better. It's not a question. Like if Aaron Rodgers is back and wants to play, like he's playing. It's not there's no debate, there's no quarterback controversy. Zach would tell you this. So like <laughs> um, if he's back, he's playing. <laughs> yeah, I just don't really understand. Um, I think I understand why it's a homegrown guy and it's like the redemption story and all that stuff. Keep it in context. Zach is still bottom six in EPA. He's still bottom six in every analytic grade. He's there's still a bottom four or five passing game. But Zach, like he's made incremental improvements in taking, taking care of the ball, eliminating those turnover worthy plays. He's taken some less bad sacks. He's not running backwards. He's doing, he's eliminated a lot of like the arena football bullshit is the reason that he was unplayable last year. Right. And even against right. the Patriots, like that's out of his game. If he starts stacking together games, like against the chiefs, sure. Maybe it's a conversation even to be had, but like, it's not even a conversation to be had. Aaron Rodgers is the most important person in this franchise. He's a four-time reigning MVP. They just traded a, you know, multiple picks for him. They're paying him a shit ton of money. Like, <laughs> If Aaron Rodgers says, I'm jumping, you know, who's jumping with me? Like, there are a lot of people are going to jump with him. Um, that's the one thing I want to finish on is, for some reason, it's being made, you know, Rodgers talked about the solid text and was like, hey, I know rehab's going really well. Love to have you, like, need you to come back, at least for this game, and kind of be on the headset and, like, be around the team. He said he was going to be around the team post-buy. He came back a week early. It somehow was made a negative, uh, you know, locally that, you know, 
this is embarrassing for the Jets. They have no control over the locker room. No one respects Salah. Why is that narrative even being pushed? And like, how could that be turned into a neg? Like, I, I really try sometimes to like see both sides. I, I don't, I don't really get this one. I'm not sure how this makes like Salah look bad. If anything, I think it makes him look like what he is, which is a guy that his players love him, they respect him, and he doesn't treat them like they're peasants that are underneath him. Yeah, I don't get that one at all. Maybe just chalk it up to Jets coverage or New York team coverage. Maybe invited a little bit of criticism with the embarrassment comment, which he himself immediately walked back. And and I, you know, I love Quinn Williams kind of be like, I don't know about that. I, you know, like, look, he was fired up. He just had maybe the best win of his entire coaching career and made a comment that, again, he immediately was like, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, I, I don't get it. I, I think there are, you probably could have valid criticisms of some things he does, but I, in terms of leading a building and having buy-in from players and having a, a veteran that's his age want to be there early and, and be on the field throwing the football around, like, I mean, you see it too. Like, they, they win games. With the first game is the Bills. Salah's streaming down the sideline, like, hugging Xavier Gibson in the end zone. You got him and Joey Douglas, like, hu- hugging it for this game. Like, I don't know. We love to t- tear dudes down that are passionate and have fun and enjoy what they do. And it's annoying. It's it's stupid. It's annoying. But also, end of the day, if he was the Cardinals head coach or whatever, if he was the Titans head coach, no one would talk about it. It's because it's because it's New York and everyone loves to just, you know, br- bring down New York. Yeah. And lastly, you know, not that the Kelsey's are the spoken word, but um, it was pretty cool to see two guys that have now played the Jets in the last three weeks, face this defense, played at MetLife the whole nine yards. Not only say MetLife's one of the best home atmospheres, they've been at this year, which I've had season tickets for a long time. That has not been the case in a, in a very, very long time, if ever. And, you know, not at least since the old building or maybe 2010. And more importantly, talked about this defense. I know we talked about it before, the front seven and stuff like that. Do you think it like, and they talked about how good of a coach Sal is and the fact that these guys play for him and good coach teams are there in the fourth quarter. So maybe it's kind of a, a stupid question, I guess, but Guys that are all pros, Hall of Fame level players like that, if they're talking about that publicly, do you think that resonates to a locker room? Guys are like, like people buy into that, like that stuff. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like, is that something that matters? I know it's like, it's a podcast, whatever, doing the same stuff we're doing right now. They're just a lot more famous. Like, what does any of that stuff matter? Or is it just cool for fans and stuff like that to hear, you know, all pro players talking about their team like that? I think it matters a lot, honestly. It depends who the messenger is. Like, not only are they very good at, at what they do, but, you know, remarkably respected in their, you know, respective locker rooms, in go- good organizations as well. I mean, for the crowd noise thing, those are probably two of the loudest buildings I've ever been to. Or I've never been to Kansas City, but the Eagles game I went to was insane. Um, and, and you hear it on the broadcast in Kansas City. But, but yeah, like, it does because – all this stuff has a downstream effect and a trickle effect in free agency, or you bring a young guy like an Elijah Moore in. And instead of, you know, be, and again, like that's a whole more complicated situation, but just having buy-in and trusting the building and trusting the process, even if it's because of some external reason and some old head, you know, from college or, or whatever, share, share an agency with or whatever, it matters a lot. Actually. I think people underestimate how much these guys talk and, you know, I'll, I'll hear from free agents when I'm doing that process of, yeah, I took a I took a lesser deal in this building because I hit up buddies that played for X team and they said don't go there. Like that stuff matters. It matters a lot, and you see it every year. And it's yeah, it's it's cool to see. It, it is cool for fans as well. Um, but yeah, the Kelsey Bell is saying that both of them. It, it definitely means something. Yeah, no, I just was kind of curious because I know we talked about it a lot 
and you know it's you hear from people at the combine and senior bowl throughout the year i just think sometimes we I, I think that stuff matters a lot and you mentioned free agency and stuff like that i think it matters in the draft a lot i think it's the trust that this will work out and i also think it matters <laughs> it matters in just the way teams approach this jets game you know approach this jets team approach any team right now and we'll finish with this i talked a lot about it on friday and I'm not taking a victory lap here on this, but I am going to take a victory lap in a sense of what the Eagles did to CJ Mosley two years ago was as disrespectful. I actually get really pissed about this as disrespectful as you're going to see from a guy who CJ Mosley on a whole, one of the most respected players in the NFL on a track of, he makes two more pro bowls. He's probably going to be a hall of like a borderline hall of fame guy. If the jets can figure out how to win at all, you know, maybe get to the playoffs or whatever. Them not shaking his hand and blatantly like disrespecting him before the game, whether you make a big deal out of it or not, it does matter. And that's a Jets team two years ago that free agents didn't want to go to the Jets. You had to overpay for these guys. You had to build a culture there. The amount of shit the Jets were talking on Sunday after the game between the young guys that weren't even here when that happened. I've never seen Brees Hall like that. CJ Mosley said it before. He's like, everyone remembers what happened two years ago. Does that kind of go hand in hand with it? Where like teams are probably starting to like not take the Jets as like, it's the Jets and they suck. Like this defense is going to punch you in the mouth. And I think teams are starting to kind of the tunes, cha the changing of the tune or whatever it is. Maybe New England can still take the Jets slightly until the Jets beat them. But everybody yeah. else, I don't think is, is going to approach this game the way that other teams had probably in the past. It's awesome because you want everyone's best, right? You want teams circling you on the calendar and getting ready for that game, getting up for that game, bringing their best football um, into the building, obviously it's going to be, you know, make things more competitive, but, but that's, you know, iron sharp, sharpens iron, all those things. Like that's how you continue to get from good to very good to great is you're also then getting everyone's best and still rising to the occasion. But yeah, no, it, it does matter. Like, look, things can change. And, and obviously every situation is individual and different and guys can be rubbed the wrong way. But in the sum of all moves, if people view both internally and externally of they care about what the guys need and want. They they are you know player friendly. They 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 actually care, and it's not just they're, they we're tools to their winning football games, but they're actually they're investing in us as people. It it does. It it totally matters. Like it's not an accident that some franchises continue to win time after time after time, and even if they do things differently, like Green Bay and Pittsburgh compared to like the Rams and Eagles, like. They literally could not be run more differently, but I think there is an undertone of we respect our players, we retain guys for longer, we invest in them both on and off the field, we actually genuinely care and want them to be part of a family, not just a cog in a machine, and I think there were times in the past where that's kind of how Jets players probably felt and frankly probably was warranted under certain regimes. It is not the case now, and I think that's evident. Yeah, no, I'm on the same page as you. Obviously, we'll be back next week. We'll do a bunch of Giants preview, anything that happens between now and then. You know, trade-wise, um, obviously, we'll we'll kind of get into it and everything like that. Make sure you guys are following Brad. He's going to have a lot of stuff coming out with trade deadline and and things like that. Yes or no question to these two, uh, these two final ones here. Does Bryce Huff get extended during the bye? I'm going to say he doesn't, but it's like I hope he does. I just don't think that enough talks have happened yet. Uh, what about you? I'll say he needs other deals around the league to maybe get done that are being worked on. Uh, I think that his market being better defined might help. Okay. All right. Well, that, that will be getting clipped. And, uh, you know, secondly, um, did the jets get anything in return better than a 2025 sixth during this deadline for the guys we mentioned? I think Lawson could get you a fifth and not huh. much better, but I think he gets you a fifth. I think there's huh. just, 
Pass rush is always the position people spend a little extra on. All right, perfect. So, again, we'll be back. I'll be back later this week, have some surprise guests, potentially some some Jets players. Don't want to say who they are yet. There's some things in the works. Uh, but we'll have some stuff later this week to kind of get you through the bye week. Be back, obviously. Uh, be back later this week. Everybody enjoy the bye. Root hard for the Eagles. I guess root hard for the Patriots, although that feels like an unwinnable task. Um, we'll be back and uh, and talk to you guys later this week.